Hello! Welcome back to the Long Distance Love Bombs podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy Goldberg, and today's guest is Hildy Dunn. Hildy is an expert coach with the Handel Group. If you recall, there's been a few other coaches from that program that have been on the podcast, including Lori Gerber and my own coach, Jill Albin. I use them, I pay them, they are my coaches. I love their system, and so I've brought them on to talk about it because I think that it works. So Hildy is a former educator. She was a fourth grade teacher. She was the assistant dean at a college in Pennsylvania. Then she got hooked on this uh, personal fitness path. She's a trained nutritionist. She was leading fitness classes. She's wonderful. She is warm and loving and kind. She is just such a beautiful spirit. And in this conversation, we dive deep into life in general, but also specifically Hildy's passion about lineage. And she talks about her family, her children, how uh, she has undergone significant personal changes and tragedies in a way that tries to honor them, in a way that we can use our lineage to bring the best of ourselves forward as we do this wild dance called life. I think you're going to dig it. I've also included links in the show notes to the Handel group. You can check out the website, do the coaching if it resonates. If you're looking for a program, they've got all kinds of free resources. It's the one that I use. I like it. Um, I've also had the founder on, Lauren Zander, a couple years ago. So you can check that episode out too. Anyway, without further ado, please enjoy this wonderful, warm conversation with Hildy Dunn. All right, we are officially recording a podcast. Hildy Dunn, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Stoked to connect. We were just having a little bit of a giggle because you read something that I posted and were crying and you said that you are, that heart connection is your secret sauce. Yeah. So I would love to dive into that in a moment, but for those people who are listening right now who have no idea who Hildy Dunn is or what she does or how, how in the world she shows up. How do you describe yourself? Like, who are you? What's your, what's your deal, Hildy Dunn? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm a life coach, which I think my job is to get people happy and proud. And then I think the real way to do that is to understand not only how we show up for ourselves, but how we show up for other people. Right. So it's like a drop in in the lake. It just ripples out and we don't understand the impact that we have on ourselves or others based on, you know, what we think, what we do and what we want. And I think that package matters. So I think I'm here to help people figure out what they want to do and do it with their own special sauce. Yeah. You said you help people feel happy and proud. Is that right? How do you, how do you do that? Like what's the, what's the work or uh, actually hang on before we dive into that, how did you get to this place in life where you're a life coach helping people be happy and proud? Well, you know, I come from a world of teachers and nurses, right? So I come from helping the world of helping. And I was a dean at a college 
And I loved that work. I loved helping college kids, but there was still something missing. Something that like, I wasn't going deep enough. I was an academic advisor. I ran, you know, the resident life program, but mm, something missing. And then I'm like, you know, it's missing physical, physicality, like getting people proud of their body, like loving their body. If you experience the world through your body, body matters. So I became a personal trainer. I teach group fitness class. Like, again, oh, something missing. And then one of the classes that I started to teach is called Intensati, which is a workout, which is also a spiritual practice. So while you're working out your body, you're training your mind. So while you're in a movement, you're saying and repeating an affirmation or a mantra. And so you kind of piece these mantras together till the workout has like a theme or a pattern. And it's all about training your mind while you train your body. So as part of that training, you know, you got to stand in front of the room and you can't just say, I love my life. You say it. I love my life. It, it comes off as fake and yeah, right. So, but in order to do that, you got to do your own work. Like meaning you really got to love your life. You really got to speak from an authentic space. And so Patricia Moreno, who founded Intensati, sent us all to the handout group to do some life coaching. And my mind was blown. Within three months, I really got to understand, you know, where, what was going on, where I wasn't proud, what I wasn't doing. It, it woke me up. And I said, there's, a, that's it. That's the final piece of helping people change, helping people learn, helping people grow, helping people experience life. But from a place that, you know, they're authoring and creating versus just reacting or doing it for a different reason besides what you really deeply care about. When you started doing that work on yourself, do you recall a specific moment or an epiphany or a realization that kind of put you on that path of, oh, shit, this is this is the spot? Yeah, I do. And it's not my finest moment, but literally I would go in my closet. I had to walk in closet and I had three kids who were, I don't know, maybe seven, nine, 12, somewhere around there. And I would just go in my closet and cry because I had gotten divorced. I didn't really know who I was. I didn't know what I was up to do. I knew I was called to do something, but it was like starting ground zero. And I didn't want my kids to really see me crying. And it was my birthday and it was Easter break. So all my kids were home and normally like I play with them and, you know, and I just was like completely alone in the closet crying. And I finally like got myself together and I came out and on my bed and I might cry was a handmade card by one of my kids. And he was like, mom's the great, you're the greatest happy birthday. And it was like a stick figure with like, our arms up like power, you know, like a powerful. And I just thought, I am not powerful. I've got to do something because I'm not being who I want to be for them. I'm not showing them how to really face a challenge, which we all face in life and how to deal with it powerfully versus how to be a martyr or a victim or just quit. And that was the moment that I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. And then I signed up for this 
training, this tra- this intensity training, right from that moment. And then from there, I went right to the coaching, which was my, my stake in the ground of, you know, being somebody that I would be proud of for my kids. And then therefore living a life that I really loved and cared about and was proud of and was going to make an impact in the world with. Mm. Thank you for sharing. It sounds like quite a confronting moment to realize that you're not proud of who you are. Um, yeah, it, it was hard. It was a hard moment to look in the mirror and go, is this how I want to teach my children to show up in the face of any adversity? Mm. I was like, uh, not really, but, but compassion for like, okay, let's just start. Let's just figure out one step at a time. Let me just take this class. And then I think like things show up in front of you when you stay open, right? Which had me take that class, which, you know, would take that training, which had me found a handout group, which had me go like, scary, but I'm going to do deeper work. Scary, but I'm going to have every conversation with everybody and, and, you know, show people who I really am and what I'm up against so I can help others the same way. Yeah. And I'm sure you hear this all the time also, but I'm often talking to clients and there's this focus on the end or the, or a desire to understand and visualize the entire path ahead. And in my experience, that's just not how it works. It, It seems to work simply as the immediate next step. It's like, I don't know what's going to happen after that, but I just can't not take this step. I have to go and sign up as this, what is it? Intensati instructor. Yeah. That was your, yeah, that was the immediate next step. And yeah. then you meet a person at the class or you read a book and then you know you're a next immediate step forward and it feels like a full body, heck Yes. And then on and on it goes. Do you agree with that? Or do you have a different way of looking at the world? I mean, I agree with that. I think when you're open, when you really stand with your heart open and stay curious, opportunities show up in front of you, right? Right. And then sometimes it's not always easy. uh, Hell, It's not an easy hell yes. Sometimes it's like, I don't know, I'm too old. Those fitness instructors are 21 and they like, jump to the ceiling and they, you know, and then I have to go deal with like, stop. What's the dream? What do you care about the most? You know, but hell yes from heart, but boy, there's other things that start fighting and, you know, fighting with the hell yes to go. Maybe not, maybe next week, you know? And and so what practices do you use to help Um, amplify that heart space and sort of quiet down the head space? Yeah, two things. One, I do a random act of kindness every day. Like just random. Send somebody a love note. Do something for somebody. Like sometimes they're simple, you know, and then sometimes they're bigger. But just the effort of thinking of somebody, not myself, it's kind of brilliant for me who could get very self-absorbed, right? So I do that. 
And then I also write out what I call, what we call at Handout Group, I am statements. So I write out like who I am. And so I'm calling myself into being. I'm calling the I am actually into being. So I'm reminding myself who I want to be. Like I'm pre-paving the road there. So now the rest of the day, you know, I'm, I'm like, I am, or I'm acting as if, because I've already prepaved myself to be there. So usually every morning, so I will usually keep my IMs for a while, then I rewrite them. But every morning I read them. I read them to myself. To God, I have to remind myself who I'm being in the world. So do you do this immediately when you wake up or is there a yeah. little ritual? A little ritual. So I usually wake up, I have a little doggy. I end up taking the doggy out, you know, and then I pray and I meditate. I write out how I see my day is done. And then I read my I am and my dreams. So it's like a very purposeful start out with, well, take care of the, you know, take care of the life around me, right? Because my <laughs> husband's already gone for work. And then I really do my prayer, my my own spiritual work. And then from that, I, you know, think about my day and I think about who I'm going to be during my day. Mm. And the I am statements, are they, are you talking pages and pages? Are you talking one or two? One page. Like, I'll read it. I'll, let, I'll read to you since it's right here at my desk, right? Okay. I'm a radical healer on my divine mission. I speak and live boldly. I'm an expert, a visionary who coaches with wisdom and builds with heart. Re- results are revolutionary, quick and caused a change for deep happiness in my clients, my loves, and my community. I'm a light bringer, and my joy is infectious. I dance in the honor of changing lives. I'm a leader in the world of dying, making the profound difference the world is desperately waiting for. I am a stand for teaching others to either design their death powerfully or, their, or design their goodbyes with heart and honesty. I am a leader of a revolution to love ourselves by loving myself and my precious body that houses my soul. My body allows me the opportunity to experience the gift of life. I eat and nourish myself. I move to nourish myself. I provide self-care to nourish myself. I look in the mirror and love myself for who I am and who I was and who I'm becoming because they are all exactly as, as was meant to be. I love that. Thank you for sharing. That seems like such a personal thing to share. I am uh, a little nervous after I started. <laughs> yeah, you were so brave of like, I'll read it. It's right here. And I was thinking, oh, okay. That's like, here's my diary. I'll just read a random page. Yeah, but I think creation really does sit on the tip of our tongue. And when we speak it, like we can speak something into existence. We can speak into believing it. It's a new language. I, I don't know about you, but I'm like, I am. Su- I suck. I'm not good. I'll try harder. Like I, I come from this. Yeah, right. And then having to declare something a little scary, but, you know, practice. So I've been practicing and practicing and practicing. Right. And it also mm-hmm. builds a belief, mm-hmm. a belief. Yeah, you're practicing that language of of self-love, it sounds like, and self-confidence. 
but you had a line in there that I did want to follow up on. I think you said something about that you're a leader in the field of dying. Did I hear that right? You did. What do you mean by that? I feel like there's some stories there or I, that, that one stuck out to me as a kind of a unique phrase amidst all the others. I know. And then, you know, actually it's very interesting because tomorrow is the anniversary of my mom's passing. Oh, shit. And, you know, first my dad passing, you know, woke me up to like, this is a thing. You know, before that, I mean, I've lost some people along the way, but, you know, I, as a coach, part of our work is really to grow a profound relationship with your parents, like eye to eye, soul to soul, not parent to child or child, the parent, you know, above or below, but really eye to eye, soul to soul. And that work had me get very deep and like a a different level of relationship with my parents. So as my dad got sick, it was a wake up call for me about one, my own spirituality, you know, what do I think? But then two, like, what does this mean for me? You know, and what does this mean for my relationship with both my dad and then, you know, afterwards my mom. And it it really had me begin to understand that we don't face that. We don't really, it's hard. Dying is something we all have to go through. None of us are, you know, out of it. And none of us are out of having somebody around us that dies, but I don't know if we really, most of it, it's a taboo topic that we don't really talk about versus really understand the importance of having all the conversations, of saying everything we need to say so that that experience can be a very a powerful one versus something we're afraid of. Because there's going to be a little fear in it anyway, little unknown, but you know, it allowed me to understand with my dad, I was not having the conversations. I was like, oh, I'm going to upset him if I talk about dying. It's scary enough. You know, let me just tiptoe around it. And then what I was actually doing was just moving the first furniture on the Titanic. You know, like it was still going until, you know, part of our work is to have these honest, real conversations. And I just said to my dad, uh, I'm afraid, I'm afraid I'm going to forget the sound of your voice. And then what's that going to mean? You know, and my dad in that moment was like, don't you remember when you were a little girl and you would see a penny on the ground? What would I say to you? I'd say, oh, the angels are talking to us. And he's like, I'll be talking to you. When you see a penny, I'm going to be talking to you. Right. And he's like, don't, you remember what I taught you about your spirituality. My dad was very spiritual, you know? Yeah. It's, it's a relationship, but it's just a relationship now with somebody without a body, which forced me to begin to understand and deal with death differently, you know? And then I'm like getting smarter about it. And then I'm like, got it. Yes, we teach people to have these honest conversations and tell the truth. But then when it comes to dying, we're like, eh, maybe not here. So, you know, and I actually did the same with my mom, like kept having these conversations. So, you know, and I actually wrote a dream for their deaths and their dying and how I was going to show up. And I asked them questions like, what do you care about the most? 
as you know, time goes on, tell me the things that you really care about so that I know how to take care of you in a way that you want, you know, not just the logistics, but you know, like, what do you care about doing? My dad's like, I want to go to the dollar store. I want to still go to church. You know, my mom's like, I want to make pierogies. I want to like, okay, we'll figure this out. But at least I, you know, had the conversation with them so that then I'm in the game of helping them author whatever stage they were at to do it well. And so I now, you know, feel like this is an important aspect. So we at Handel Group, we take your life and we divide it into 12 areas, you know, money, love, career, um, body and health, time, fun and adventure, right? And now like there is a 13th area called death and how we design our own and how we say goodbye to somebody is critical, Critical so that person can go with ease and so that we can help them and help ourselves in the process. Mm. So it's a long answer, a little emotional, but you know. It was a beautiful answer. So do you spend time professionally in this area? I like, do. In what capacity? Um two capacities like one I help people who has somebody who's at towards the end of life Mm -hmm. right I help them design conversations you know do that work I help people who are at the end of their own life how to have the conversations how to write what they need to write how to get resolved where they need to get resolved right and then there's also the third piece of like people that are living like how do we live with the understanding or with like, you know, Carlos Costanera wrote that, you know, one of his quotes is like, death is always over your left shoulder, tapping. I'm like kind of adapting his quote, but you get what I mean. Like, it's always there. But the deal is let's be present to it so that we can really live mm-hmm. and live for like what matters most to you. What are you going to do that you care about? How do you get resolved with the people that you need to be resolved with? Because I swear that it helps with the process of dying when you're resolved with the people that you're living with. Yeah. I love that you're talking about this. I didn't anticipate this conversation at all, but I'm, I agree. And I have a module in one of my programs that's all about death because I find it to be a very inspiring topic in the sense that, Hey, to, to distill it down. It's like, hey, guess what, random client? You're going to die. And none of this matters. Nothing matters. You get to do whatever you want. I mean, with within reason, right? Of course, some of it matters. Um, but what I mean is, yeah, you can launch a business. You can live whatever life you want because at some point you're going to disappear and, and largely be forgotten, right? Um, and so I, I even, I reached out to this guy who's coming on the podcast in like a week or two, who's a funeral home director and embalmer. And he, and he just wants to talk about grief and he, and he's very passionate about death and wants to talk. And I was like, all right, sure. I think that's a very interesting perspective because I mean, for this individual, he's surrounded by it. He's, he can't escape it. I imagine. And it sounds like for you, you've, you've come about, 
in, from a different perspective, understanding that this is a really vital thing that we don't discuss nearly enough in our culture, right? I mean, how many yeah. of us have seen a dead body or been present with someone when they've passed away? All of these kinds of things are somewhat taboo. So how do we, how do we normalize death? I think by talking about it, right? And by living your life, understanding that it's something that's just there, mm. right? It's not going away, but let's not be afraid of it, but let's live our life like it matters because it really does. Yeah. And this might be a, a little bit of a subject change, but I'm reminded I was speaking to Jill Alvin, who's my coach, who I've had on the podcast as well. And she said that you would be a wonderful person to talk to about lineage and spirituality. And I have no idea what she means by that, <laughs> but I am hoping you might be able to offer some context. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. And then, you know, we're just coming from death going out versus spirituality yeah. and lineage coming in. But, you know, lineage is like, look, I think that, we picked our parents on purpose, right? Like, and most of us go around complaining about our parents. I'm not gonna be my mother. Oh my God, I'm gonna go with my dad. Like, you know, like we live through this experience of seeing what's wrong or what we don't like or where they failed or, you know, the struggles. Or sometimes we put somebody in a pedestal and somebody on a ditch, which is also not really experiencing them eye to eye, soul to soul, just a human soul, just here, like with their own set of purposes, doing their best that they can, sometimes winning, sometimes not so much, right? But understanding that if we pick them as our parents, then you know part of our work is taking on the same lineage, right? And then understanding that you know, like each, each layer of the lineage does better, you know, hopefully does better with the challenge that we're up against, right? But just be able to um, understand and respect our parents for the struggles that they had. Mm. Do you have an example in your own life where you have had a breakthrough from that context or a way that you keep your ancestors front of mind as you go about your day? Um, you know, look, I think we get traits. Our personality, we all have personality traits. We have great traits that work for us, you know, and like I've, I'm compassionate, like I'm a good listener. So those are great traits. But then we also have traits that don't work for us. And then where do we get those traits from our lineage? Like we grow up in the context of our parents or whoever cared for us and whatever linea uh, whatever traits they have. So we grow up in the context of these traits, right? And then we take them on, hopefully we're evolving them. So like my mom, we would joke and we would just call her Judge Judy. Like if you know that TV show, like, oh my gosh, my mom would just say it out straight to you, right? And then I used to be like, oh, mom, wrong, right? And then what I realized is, yeah, I'm a little better than my mom, but I just do silent Judge Judy. Like, I just do it silently in my head where at least my mom was open and told you, like, get your hair out of your face. 
you know, why do you have those yellow sneakers on? What's, you know, what's going on? Right. I just silently do it in my head. Right. So once I understand that now I'm in the game to evolve it for both of us in honor of the lineage, in honor of the struggle that my mom dealt with, you know, so it, it helps me to go, yeah, I'm done with, you know, that judging and that, and it's interesting because my mom would always talk about your hair and your face, like your, what you were wearing, right? But when you really understand it, my mom had scoliosis and the older she got, the more pronounced the scoliosis got, which means like she would bend, she would bend forward, mm. you know? And then as I started to have these real deep conversations with my mother, I began to understand like she just wanted me to look that in a way that nobody would judge me for because she spent her life so judged, you know, at one point she's like, I felt like a monster, you know, like, mm. and I just like woke me up to like, wow, you know, and here I am judging her for the way she's telling me about pull my hair out of my face and get the, what am I wearing? And, you know, blah, don't wear jeans or whatever. Right. And then she's just trying to save me from her own experience of being judged. And then where did I silently judge people on the way they look, the way my daughter looked? Oh God, what are you wearing? The way my son looks like fix your hair. Like, why are you dying at that color? Like just such a interesting evolution, but the lineage mm. where once I understand that I, you know, I can deal with it and change it in honor of the struggle. Yeah. It also sounds a little bit like an exercise in compassion and empathy, right? So it's not just about the criticisms from your parent, but it's about seeing their heart. And for your mom, it sounds like it was about recognizing that this is a, a human being who feels like a monster, and right. like, oh my God, what must that feel like day after day after day? How painful must that be? And like, oh, of course she wants her child to not feel like a monster. And it's coming across in a rough way, but it, it has an intention underneath it of, of love and protection. Right. Yeah. And so once we understand, now I can relate to her like soul to soul, like, okay, I'm evolving this lineage, right? I, I'm not gonna, of course, I'm gonna do it better than she did. Like, you know, she's the wall phone, I'm the iPhone, my kids are the Apple watch, you know, like we evolve with lineage, right? We get better. And then I can't expect my mom to be more evolved than me. That's not how it works, right? But it, once I understand it and I have that level of compassion, I am now understanding what's not working for me so I can change it in honor of the struggles that she went through too. Mm. And then going back to what you said previously, it sounds like you're also doing the work for your lineage when you had that moment in the closet and you signed up for the coaching courses and all of that. So you're, you're perpetually trying to evolve so that your children can evolve with the anticipation that you're not going to catch them. Is that the idea? Right. I like, you know, now they learn from me and I'm hoping they evolve to the next level and evolve mm -hmm. to the next level. And I think that's the game of life is how, you know, we're up against the challenges, 
right? I swear we pick these challenges somehow or another, like those two parents down there, those are what I want to evolve, right? But then, and even if you don't believe that, it's still a great game to play to be like, I, I'm the author. And if I'm responsible for it, there's good news in that because it means I could do something about it, right? And then I'm also in the game to evolve myself in honor of making my children have an easier go at evolving themselves. Yeah, I, I love that. I think even, so So for me, like as a skeptic, as a scientist, I hear those kinds of things. And I, I'm dating a woman who has these kind of beliefs as well. Like I chose my parents. And then I, part of my brain is like, how? I need to understand the physics behind that. That doesn't make sense from an evolutionary perspective. But I think the other part of my brain as a thought experiment finds tremendous value in working through these various hypotheticals. Like assuming that I did choose my parents, assuming that's true, like why did I choose these two? Like, or four for me, right? It's like, what do these people have that I need? Like, what are they here to teach me? How are they gonna grow me? Yes, and what I love about that is now you're actually authoring rather than reacting to. Now your mastermind, you're like, oh, if I pick them, now I'm responsible to like do something with it. If like just shit happened, if it happened to me, and I'm like, well, well, you're like I'm just stuck holding this versus what do I do about it? Why would I have sets me up to like, so then what do I do about it? Right. I hadn't considered that. So you kind of are shifting the mindset from one of victimhood of like, I've been dealt these two people and I had no choice. I'm like, woe is me to then focusing on agency and responsibility of, okay, it, this is my job. I've got them. How can I use this? You got them. They're not going anywhere. No. Now what? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I feel like so much of life is that of this thing just happened. Okay. Well, what am I going to do? What am I going to do with this? And shifting that mindset, I think, is a really crucial core attribute for living a healthy life, for being a happy human, right? And, and it, I think it goes back to too, those affirmations that you used at the beginning of reminding ourselves moment to moment, day after day, that we are capable. We can handle this. We are strong. Like, it's okay, yeah. right? I could do hard things. Yeah, it just, you know, really then opens up the door for possibility. And that's what I love most. Because then it's like, oh, what, what am I going to create with this? What can I do with this? What can I do? Yeah. You know, what's that? in my hand again. What's, what's an example of something for you right now that feels like a hard thing or something that you are expanding into? Right now, so my job, I'm now, grow I, I do a great job being like in terms of leadership. So forget my coaching work. I also am responsible for training the coaches. So anybody that wants to be a coach, coaches in training, I'm a vice president of training, which means I basically run the training program. And, you know, then there's a president above me, right? And I am a great number two. 
Like I'm a rock star number two. I understand what you need. I'm with you. I relate to you. Like I got your back. I clean up the messes. Like I am just great at it. And now I'm being called to stand up as a number one, like stand in my own decisions, make up my mind versus like, I'm a great cleaner rapper. Like, but you can hear how that I'm stepping away from authorship or stepping away from like a higher level of leadership. So now I'm really starting to understand one, it's sneaky to just want to be a great number two, because I'm off the hook for being responsible for choices and decisions. And then the other part of it, and don't tell anybody, but I actually like being a number one, right? It, it just is like a, is you know, but I'm like, uh-oh, I got to change my relationship to failure if I'm going to be a great one, because there is nobody who's a great leader that hasn't failed. And it's not about not failing, because if you're going to spend your life not failing, you're not going to be living a very happy, productive, inspired life. The things that we are the most inspired by are not the things that come easy. They're the things that we have to like have a little over, right? And really push ourselves to. And like, those are the things. Think about something you're really proud of. It's not something that came easy. It's not ever, right? So I'm like, oh, actually, there's a part of me that likes being this leader. There's a part of me that like, can really feel like the rumble of creation being a leader, but it means I got to change my relationship to failure because I'm certainly going to make mistakes. I'm certainly not going to do something well. And I'm going to certainly have to stand in my decisions. So Mm. I'm now growing up to the next level of leadership, which a little scary sometimes. I relate to that completely. Um, And I had my own personal experience with that. Years ago, I was working for a boss who was very high up, powerful, physically larger than most people, like a presence. And I really thrived as the number two that would do do the work to help him um, create change, would write some speeches that he would give. And like, really, um, I love that role. And even just a couple months ago, in my own business, like I, I'm the business, I, I run my own thing. And I was thinking to myself in a time of, um, in a time of questioning my ability and I was feeling a little bit down and a little frustrated of, you know, maybe I'm just not built for this. And maybe I am a number two, to use your language. Like maybe I need to find somebody to run this for me and maybe I should step back. And I kind of came around to this idea that those stories for me personally were a form of hiding and and a form of comfort. And I decided and recognized that I needed to actually continue that expansion because like you, I had this moment of like, but I like being a number one. I like being in charge. I like running my own business. Like it's just me. And so there was this kind kind of internal tug of war, so to speak, between who I really wanted to be and how I was showing up in the world. And there was this kind of conflict point. Do do you, am I making sense? Uh, I'm like, got you, hear you. (laughs) Like, yes. And the internal dialogue, the inner dialogue about like, don't go there. You're great number two. And you have evidence. 
oh, I did this speech and I did this for oh, him. Oh, so I'm much evidence. That, right. And so as soon as we find evidence for something, we're like, yes. Right. And then you're like the dream, which is your one being the one. It's like this little tiny voice. Yeah, you can do it. Right. And the, oh, he do, I do better as a two. I'm a, like, it's louder. Right. And we really have to like get clear on just because the voice is quiet doesn't mean it's the right voice. And then really connect to what you care about the most, you know, and talk back to that inner dialogue. Yeah. It sounds like that affirmation practice that you do is about cultivating the identity of a number one of a leader, uh, giving yourself evidence that you don't necessarily have in your body at this moment, of like to, to become and evolve into that person. Yes. And then once I have the language and once I read it out loud, then, and once I listen to the inner dialogue, I'm like, no, no, that's not true. I'm not listening to you. I'm a change agent. I'm a, you know, what, you know, I'm powerful, right? Once I do that, then there's also the piece of like, what action am I taking? You know, Mm -hmm. then it's not just like giving the affirmation and not doing anything, or it's not just reflecting on the inner dialogue over and over again, right? It literally is putting those two pieces with action. Mm -hmm. So then it's like, I have to give my opinion, first in a meeting with my boss because I'm great for going what do you think oh me too or what do you think great idea you know versus really having to make a promise to myself about I am going to give my opinion first yeah and now listen if you're a bossy pants that's not the right action for you to take right your promise might be I'm going to listen and repeat what somebody else said first but for me really growing up my level of leadership, it's giving my opinion, making a stick, taking the stand for what I think, and then living with whatever that means. Yeah, I love that you touched on the differences between individuals. Like for some of us, as an example, it's really difficult to show up, do the work, and get your stuff done. And for others of us, it's really difficult to take a bath uh, and to take a nap and to stop doing the work and to stop um, working overtime, right? And so I think for somebody listening, that's a really valuable thing is we all have our little areas that we can expand into. We have these little zones of genius and we have zones where we're like, that feels uncomfortable and I probably should get better at that. So that's what you want to lean into. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. The more you know yourself, like, so I always say one, you have to know what you want, what the heart says, like then no matter what you think and no matter what you do, you hold it up to the dream is, is what I'm thinking in service of that dream. And when I is what I'm doing in service of that dream, which always writes the, writes your thinking or writes, you know, sets you right again. Right. And so you have the dream as kind of a North star to aim for. Yeah. It's like what you care about and giving it language. What, what's a daily practice or an example of that? Like where you would catch yourself during the day, not thinking in integrity or alignment with that vision. Do do you have a, a mantra or a technique? Like, how do you deal with that? Well, at the end of it, like, I think some of it comes with practice. The more you hear it, the more you catch it. The more you 
the more you understand and know your traits, the quicker you can catch them. It's like that. I heard this game show is coming back, which I'm so grateful for because there used to be a game show called name that tune. And you would have to name the tune in so many notes or less. And it would be like, la, la, la. You know, then, then people go, oh, that's whatever it was. Right. And so I heard the game shows coming back, which thank God, because now I have a relevant example again, but um, you know, it's the more you can catch your traits, the more I get where I'm a sneaky too, is the quicker I can name it and get myself back on track. But at the end of the day, I do stop and reflect on my day. In the beginning of the day, I write how I want the day to go. At the end of the day, I stop and I do a rewrite. And I'm like, how did I do? Not to beat myself up or be mean, but just get the lesson and the learning. You know, what is there to learn from this? What am I going to change for tomorrow? Can I get present to what happened that had me not do what I should have done, that didn't have me give my opinion first? Right. I actually love that example of Name My Tune. The way that I thought about it as you were describing it. So, so for those who are, who are like maybe not of our generation or whatever, like the idea is a song is playing and you have to name the song as quickly as possible. And so for some people, if we use anger as an example, some people might need to feel angry, throw a temper tantrum, say something they regret, break a window, storm out, ruin their day. And then they think, oh, you know, something's amiss here. I'm feeling a little angry. And for others, I think as you're suggesting, the, the more and that you practice, the better that you get. You might feel anger rising in your belly and you'll name that tune as quickly. You're like, ah, that's anger. And you don't have to listen to the rest of the song, which means that your relationship is now in a worse place and you've broken a window and you've ruined your day. As I just think that's brilliant. I, I love that. See, thank yeah. goodness somebody gets yeah. it. Yeah, like, I get it. It's like, and I love your example, right? Because we very often we get it at different levels and the game is going to be catch it sooner and sooner and sooner. So as soon as you start to feel something in your belly, as soon as you start to feel the temperature rising, you're like, oh, I know that. I know that trait. Yeah. And it does it just because I know the trait, just because I have a trait. Usually it comes up when you're up against a challenge. And so you're just going to like stop it from yeah. running the show. Yeah. And I think that's, that's like useful for a whole bunch of other things such as, Oh, I'm, this is the part where I'm, or, or this song is called I'm hiding my truth or this song is called fear is leading the way instead of love. Right. And so you can start to really practice cultivating awareness, I think is what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find that meditation helps with your awareness? It does. It quiets my mind and gets me back to being center. I think for me, spirituality and meditation, you know, it's all kind of flows into one, but I think it really, I think way deep down, if we're quiet, like I said, the dreams, the things we care about the most, what inspires us or drives us is there, but it's so quiet and it's so like things are put on top of it, you know? And so quieting the mind is like take it's like taking off the blankets until you can finally see or hear a little bit more about what you care about. And then once you get that, you know, what you care about or like self-love, 
you know, I don't know why, but we're like, we think we can hate ourselves to love ourselves. Like we think we could be mean to ourselves to inspire ourselves and it just doesn't work. Right. But when you quiet your mind and you stop the fear and you stop all the other things that are going on, you get back to your true heart, which I think is again, recentering. Mm. This idea of be still and talk to God. Yeah. Be still and listen to God, perhaps is a better way to say it. Hildy Dunn, where can people find you on the internet? Do you have any final words of wisdom? What have we not uh, talked about where you're like, Jeremy, why didn't you ask me about <laughs> blank? No, I mean, I think you can find me at handoutgroup.com, H-A-N-D-E-L group, G-R-O-U-P.com. And then, you know, just so your people know that we have Inner You, which is an online digital program that people can do the work. What I like about Inner You, so it's I-N-N-E-R, the letter U. Mm. Right. What I and I think you'll give them some notes on that. Right. But what I love about this program is that it's self-generated. So there's modules, there's audio that you can listen to where Lauren Zander, who founded the method, actually will teach a principle. And then there's somebody giving an example of how they used it in their life or what they've learned about it. Then there's a place that you can actually write and do your own work. And then there's commonly asked questions. So it goes through 12 modules and some bonus modules, which will help you go through this work at a pace that's right for you. And you'll start to think about your dreams. You'll start to get curious about your own versions of your inner dialogue and your own traits, which like, you know, for me is so powerful because it takes us right back to authoring. Yeah. I mean, literally this is the system that I have been immersed in for a while now. Like my coach is, is from Handel group, which is why I keep having you guys on. Cause I'm like, this is effective and it works for me. And it's so, it's so simple to the point of being obnoxious in my experience. It's like <laughs> integrity. It just strips it right back down of, of like integrity is, is this and this and like, Oh, you should do this next. And it's like, I don't want to do that. It's like, yeah. That's the sign that you need to do it. <laughs> That's the sign. It's like the when you throw a fit or you're afraid of something, it's usually the things that you care about the most. Yeah. Yeah, precisely. And then I think having someone to hold you accountable. Yeah. Which we're not we're not that good at doing it to ourselves for ourselves. We I, need another thing. I find personally that I'm really good at justifying not doing something. Like my ego is really sharp. And because I have an analytical background, I they make very rational sense, my arguments. Uh, yeah, I'm sure they do. Like, yeah, my, you're oh, right. like, yeah, you're right. You're right. I can just do it tomorrow. That makes total sense. Tomorrow never comes. <laughs> Wednesday. You never start anything on Wednesday. Yeah, you know yeah, it's sunny out today. We should go for a walk instead of do that thing. Uh, anyway. Uh, Hildy, I, I so enjoyed this conversation. Huh. Hildy, I so enjoyed this conversation. And <laughs> I, I really do appreciate you opening up and sharing some vulnerable part, vulnerable, gosh, I can't talk right now. Vulnerable parts of your life. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And I appreciate your honesty as well. 
Well, I am honored to be here. Your work is incredible. It's just a blessing to be able to to talk to you. So thank you. This was fun. Did you have fun? I had fun. I'm like, can we just keep going? Can we do another? (laughs) We could, but I'm conscious because you said you you have a client that you need to talk to. And so I was trying to be respectful and, and staying in integrity and like finishing on. But hey, like maybe one day when you're best-selling book about death is out. I just totally projected that at you. Uh, you. you You could come back and talk about it. I would love to. And I'm coming to listen to your podcast from the, that of the guy that's coming that you were sharing about. Yeah. His name is, his, his name is Jeremy. I can't remember. Yeah. I haven't talked to him yet. So it'll be, it'll be a little while, but I'm excited. Yeah. I've never yeah. talked to somebody that has embalmed a body before. That it's must... very interesting. I'm like, wow. But it really points to, you know, it's really just a suitcase, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be, I'm not going to be here. Like, everybody knows, do not, my casket's going to be closed. Like, do not, I'm gone. Like, do, so when you, if you come, yeah. make sure it's closed. And if oh, not, wow. you have permission Slam it shut. Yeah, yeah, like who's in charge here? Hildy. Who's in charge here? You yeah. should know this. This is nonsense. <laughs> I like the suitcase reference. I've not heard anybody describe their body as a suitcase. That's good. Yeah. Um, you're a gem. Yeah, come back anytime, Hildy. And if I'm ever in New Jersey, I'm just gonna show up on your porch one day and be like, hey, want let's drink some tea and, and vibe. Yes, please. Please. <laughs> Gosh, isn't she just the best, like the kindest soul, right? Anyway, you can find Hildy on the internet. I've included links to her Instagram account, as well as the Handel group for whom she works. And I've got links to the various resources that they provide. If you want to book a session, if you want to check out their free programs, you can click those links in the show notes. And that's all I got. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing it with your friends and loved ones. Thanks for telling your mailman to listen to the podcast. Every bit helps. I appreciate the support. I appreciate the five-star reviews. And if you'd like, you can find me on Instagram at longdistancelovebombs. I will see you there. And until then, keep smiling, and I will talk to your ear bones soon.